Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm also the founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, which is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort worldwide. We believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and having the everyday conversations about life with dementia, well, we just think that we can remove the stigmas that are attached to memory loss and help those live with the disease with a purpose and a passion that they so deserve. Together, I know that we can help everyone understand the true needs of this disease, um, and we can help remove and um, and get rid of that fear and that isolation that people feel. At our core, Alzheimer's Speaks believes collaboration is the only way we're going to win this battle. And I know it's working because of all your likes and shares and clicks. You guys have had a huge impact on shifting our dementia care culture because we were recognized as the number one influencer online regarding Alzheimer's, according to Share Care and Dr. Oz. And that would not have happened without all of you. So I am... Um, I'm so blessed to have have you as our as our listeners and our partners in terms of shifting our dementia care. I would like to invite all of you to participate in the show. Um, Alzheimer's Speaks believes all voices need to be heard, and that includes you. So um, <clears throat> please don't hesitate to call into the show, um, and that number is 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757, or you can always use the chat box as well. And um, like I said, we'll pull you into the conversation um, as soon as there's a kind of a little bit of a lull, but we'd love to hear your thoughts and your questions. Um, if you haven't done so um, while you're listening, I would appreciate it if you would like and share this show with others. I think it's going to just give fabulous information and support to so many others um, around the world, and we really, really need to be able to get the information to the people in need. You see, most of us know somebody dealing with dementia, um, and we don't even know they're dealing with dementia because of the stigma. So the more information that can be out there, the easier it's going to be for them to tap in when the time is right for them. 
Now, before I introduce our first guest, I just want to do a shout out <clears throat> to some of my favorite organizations. The Purple Angel is uh, is just such a massive movement, uh, which came from the UK and has um, now sprouted up here in the U.S. Um, in fact, Alzheimer's Speaks is going to be the launch pad for the Purple Angel, and we're going to be updating uh, the website here shortly for that. So we're very excited about that. For those of you who don't know, the Purple Angel is a new global symbol for dementia, and it can be shared and utilized by all, so individuals, companies, organizations, and communities alike. Alzheimer's Disease International <clears throat> is a great place to go if you're looking for any Alzheimer's association anywhere in the world. Um, in fact, Mark Wartman is going to be on the show again here in September talking about a new study that was just brought up, <clears throat> done about prevention that, that I believe they're rolling out on the 17th. I think he's going to be on the show on the 18th. And then we have the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation, who just does a great job with working with a holistic modes in terms of dealing with, uh, with the disease. And if you are... Um, Dealing with certain types of dementia, such as Lewy body or frontal temporal lobe um, or vascular dementia or aphasia, you're going to want to check into the organizations that support those as well. Um, and then I always have to shout out to a couple of my favorite um, social systems to um, support and gain engagement, and that is Music First with Choral Health and the Jiminy Wicket program, which is a croquet program uh, that's brought into the schools and helps the kids engage with people with memory loss. Uh, Puzzle With Me with Jane Snyder has done a great job um, devising um, puzzles that are age-appropriate and um, just a little bit easier to handle for people. So, with that, um, let's go ahead and get rolling into into the show because, again, we just have two fabulous guests with us today. The first guest that we have is Nader Shabahangi, and he received his doctorate from Stanford University, and he's a licensed psychotherapist. In 1992, he founded the nonprofit organization called Pacific Institute with the purpose of training psychotherapists in multicultural and humanistic approaches to counseling and to provide affordable therapy, which is so badly needed, to the many diverse groups living in San Francisco, where he's located. In 97, uh, Nader opened a residential home care for the elderly called Age Song. And then in 2003, combining his passions for the elderly with the love that he has for photography and philosophy, he wrote um, Faces of Aging as a tribute and celebration of being an elder. In 2006, he wrote Deeper into the Soul with a Polish professor. And he also um, is... Um, and that book really promotes the radical different views and attitudes towards dementia, which is really important. Again, that book is called Deeper into the Soul. And then he went on to write Conversations with 
ed in 2009 that just kind of elaborates his view and it's a very interesting book um, with this individual Ed Voris uh, who was diagnosed with dementia and um, was a prof- and then he also um, has a conversation with Pat um, Fox who was a UCFF uh, professor. In 2011, he published uh, Elders Today, which is a book that uh, proposes a new paradigm of looking at aging. He does a lot of workshops um, on eldership and uh, just a fascinating, fascinating individual. Um, Since 1995, Nader has been the CEO of Age Song Inc. Again, that is his um, residential uh, model, and that is in the San Francisco Bay Area. And um, I'm going to let him say a little bit more about what all he is up to during our conversation here. So, welcome, Nader. How are you doing? Good morning. Thank you, Lori. Thank you for having me on the show. It just sounds like so much up my my whole passion. I'm just so thrilled that I can be able to to speak with you all of you about. Uh, really what we call forgetfulness and uh, elders and eldership and all those wonderful things that elders afford us. And so thank you for having me. Well, I'm I'm really excited because you you do you come with this passion of um, valuing eldership and seeing the beauty in it. And so many times, um, you know, in our society, we don't do that. And some of it is culturally driven. Um, others is just busy lifestyle. But I, I personally think it's something that we have to take a deep, hard look at and shift. And so, um, can you first of all explain to us what is age? song and and what is the philosophy behind it well actually you in your introduction about uh Alzheimer's speaks i probably have already summarized the central points that are also behind age song and we, uh, that, are, that seem also to be the driving f- uh force behind Alzheimer's speaks which is remove stigma and uh and get rid of the fear whether it's uh the fear of dementia or the fear of aging and uh, and and again, look at the purposefulness behind aging, what we call dementia, and so forth. Meaning, there is a a uh, way that all these different voices, as you call them, have validity. So there is a reason for us growing more mature. There is also a reason, as I am proposing, for us becoming forgetful. So this is very much what you are speaking about, and perhaps I'm. I'm ratcheting it up a little bit, if you will, that uh, with Age Song there was this idea that we want to celebrate aging, singing the song of age. We want to celebrate all the different conditions and symptoms that come along with aging, or as we are calling it here in San Francisco, maturing. So we are trying to get away from the word aging completely because it's so uh, often so much uh, loaded with uh, negative connotations. So when I, you know, speak to you and and I introduce myself and I say hi Lori I am 57 years mature and then you can say well I'm so sorry I'm only 32 years mature right so so that whole mm-hmm. idea already that maturity is going to be emphasized that comes with the aging process rather than the decline model that so many of us uh, are afraid of in in this culture and a similar thing also with the idea of uh uh, of forgetting what we call forgetfulness, because in order for us to destigmatize 
um, any condition, whether it's aging or whether it is uh, dementia, we need to take a look at the language, and I'll speak more about that later, but we need to take a look at how our language uh, reifies or, or, or intensifies the stigma. And we all know that there's many other examples, and we call people by certain names or when we, um, you know, uh, objectify uh for example, women have talked for centuries about being objectified and where they're just being looked at in terms of their physical beauty rather than the depth that they have. And if we can pay attention to the language, then that makes a big difference in the way that we then look at the world. So the language in some ways guides how we look at the world. So destigmatizing, aging, destigmatizing what we call dementia and, and labeling it or calling it, not labeling it, but calling it forgetfulness because you and I both forget, so I'm not making you, the other person, separate, is really the foundation of H-Song. And we have care homes, assisted living communities, who are called assisted living, and we want to actually move away from the word assisted and actually just call it communal living, social living, where we come back together as a group of people, like a family in, in some ways, and share time together, socialize together, as you know, loneliness and isolation are such big factors when we get uh, older. And mm -hmm. so these are actually happy-go-lucky communities rather than assisted living communities. And so so I can say more about that. But that's, that was the vision. A, an elders academy, as I also like to call it, of, of elders sitting there able to teach the youngsters like myself uh, other aspects about life that often we don't learn in college or at, at school. And uh, we can talk more about that too, which is what we call eldership. You know, what all okay. these are wonderful things. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. As you can great. see, I, I'm so sorry. I get so excited just talking about it. It's so much to talk about. Yes. <laughs> no, no, I think it's great. And it's kind of funny. You know, I, I like that idea of not the assisted living, but the communal living or social living. I, I run into that myself, um, which is kind of hilarious because I, you know, I'm divorced now and um, my daughter and her, her boyfriend live with me and his mom live with me and everyone mm -hmm. thinks that that is so strange and and i'm like it mm -hmm. really isn't it's very nice everyone's really respectful everybody has plenty of space in their own you know i mean it's just right. and it's it but everyone just thinks it's so foreign you know and That's so right. yeah, yeah. and the and the benefits in that and so it is i think the terminology and um you know it it people just have this perception of what it's like and it really is a big thing to break down um and so i love i love seeing how we can try to shift that from assisted living because we're all assisting one another if we're honest absolutely um, i was I, I sometimes use the idea of remember the old kings and queens you know of which you have a few left i mean they wouldn't get dressed they would be dressed they didn't get washed didn't wash themselves they got washed so if, you know, when you were privileged to be a king or queen, then you basically were being assisted left and right with everything. You know, sometimes they would even feed you. You know, so you know that. So looking at at uh, the uh, positive aspects of um, of the aging process and communal living is really important. Sure. Now I'm going to pull Michelle uh, Remold in with us. She's my intern and she's helping us mm -hmm. here. Welcome, Michelle. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you for having me on. Well, good. I know that you've got a question that you'd like to ask Nader, too, so I'll let you go ahead and um, pose that question and join the conversation here. All right. Hi, good morning, Michelle. Uh, good morning. Um, 
you mentioned calling dementia forgetfulness, and I was wondering uh, why you uh, chose to do that instead of um, just calling it dementia. Well, actually, this is this is foundational. So this is not just a little uh, um, uh, a little side uh, phenomenon here, but to me, it is foundational. I, I have developed such a strong aversion to the word dementia, which, as we know, literally means no mind. Um, or away from mind that I cannot actually be at a dementia conference any longer because I am I'm so I'm almost have an adverse reaction physically to the word and also to the word Alzheimer's. I mean, there's a long history since uh, Lori mentioned that I have a philosophy background. Uh, I actually studied how language governs perception and how the moment you label something you actually see only through that label. And, and Dr. Powers is wonderful in, in the way that he describes it. At the moment, let's say a person who uh, has forgetfulness drops a pen or puts the cup a little bit too far left or too far right, almost everyone will immediately think, aha, because this person is forgetful, he or she does that. Right? Once you have labeled a person, almost anything that the person does, is now being seen through that label. And you, we all know that. For example, you know, I, I was a kind of a klutz when I was a kid. You know, I would always drop things and so forth. So I still, in my 50s, when I go home and visit my mom, and, you know, I'm, I've gotten a lot better, but still when I, whatever, put something a little bit too much over here or there, or I forget this or I forget that, immediately it's very hard to undo the label. <clears throat> and uh, and so by calling something forgetful, and there might be other terms that, that we, we could use as well, but by calling it forgetful, I am not separating myself from the other. That is the big phenomenon that, we, that I'm trying to emphasize here. I am part also of you. I'm not saying you are different, diseased, or disordered like we do in mental health, but rather, I am also like you. I also forget things. I also drop things. I also uh, don't want to remember things. I also uh, get confused and f lose my direction and, you know, have to look for things. I mean, we all experience that, maybe not at all times, but we all have a certain understanding of what it is like not to remember a word or a name or a place or a memory. So... What the, the foundation of stigma is actually, or the basic idea of stigma, is that I make something or someone different, separate from me. What I would like to do, or what I think also Lori and what we are trying to do here with Alzheimer Speaks and with Aichong is, I want to say I'm not separate from you. The moment I'm not separate from you, I can go into what we call, you know, loving and caring attitudes. Right, because I'm, I feel connected mm -hmm. to you, and when I feel connected to you, then I don't want to make you wrong. I don't want to make you feel odd or funny. And we have so much emphasis in our communities here on wanting to make sure that the person who is so sensitive, especially when you become more forgetful, I think all of us on the call have experienced how sensitive people who are forgetful are. And when they notice that I approach them with an attitude of love, with an attitude of acceptance, not with an attitude of disease or there's something wrong with you or poor thing, then they sense mm -hmm. that. They sense that you are loving towards them. Just like a child senses whether a mom or dad is loving with them 
or is upset with them. They can sense it. They can feel it. We feel when we walk into a room if that is a room that I like to be in or not. And so that kind of uh, sensitivity is, is really important. And so calling something forgetful, I'm just I'm, I'm including myself in that. And that it makes all the difference in working with uh, forgetful elders, with elders, with anyone, period. Mm-hmm. Is that clear, well, that, um, Michelle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it makes a lot of sense. And in, in our word choices, we're we're so strong into into labels and stuff. And you know, I've had people um, approach me on you know why did I call it Alzheimer's Speaks? And mm-hmm. um, and I said because I wanted to give voice to the disease, and that was what mm-hmm. the public was was calling it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, since mm-hmm. you know, since I started, people have um, said, "Well, you know, you should change the name. It's bigger than Alzheimer's." And I'm like, "Well, that's why I have mm-hmm. dementia chats." And I try to be inclusive. I said, "But I don't. For me, I don't think it branding wise it makes sense." to make a change because I, I think we're really evolving. It's so much bigger than one word. Um, it right. really is a lifestyle um, that mm-hmm. we have to embrace and for people to to accept, but it's very powerful and it is very offensive. Um, I've had people with um, certain types of dementia be really upset, um, mm-hmm. you know, thinking everything's categorized as Alzheimer's and I'm like, well, if you really look at us, we're not, but, you mm-hmm. know, some people won't look. And and so that that happens all the time out there. Um, same mm-hmm. with the, the you've got the different names for the Alzheimer's cafes, the dementia cafes, the memory mm-hmm. cafes. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's we've, words are words are very very powerful. And so words I, are very I, powerful. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think it's. Uh, you know, forgetfulness, I, I love that you're bringing together that, hey, you're not alone. You know, I forget stuff. We all forget stuff. I mean, you know, my daughter That's points right. that out to me all the time, you know, and so now I'm starting to point out that she does too. <laughs> you know, well, actually, I, it, you know, that's beautiful, Lori, because then I'm, as I, you know, in my workshops when I, I try to, we have such a uh, apathy, we have such a, uh, uh, a tendency to, to fear forgetting, and mm-hmm. I'm pointing out that, it is, you know, I like to forget a lot of things. I like to forget the, my anxiety of having to pay the mortgage or the rent or, you know, waking up at two and remembering, oh, my God, did I call this person back or that person back? And so there's this or, or you know, any, you know, there are many philosophers who point out that our, the, the reason, the only reason we can ever be happy, I mean, the foundation of happiness in some ways, of joy, is our ability to forget. Because just to think, you would have to wake up every morning with all the trauma, with all the bad things that have happened to you, and all the the, the the shameful moments, perhaps, or the moments of feeling guilty or, or or of mishaps. And I mean, if you think that you would actually remember that every morning you woke up, you wouldn't want to get up. So, and yep. you, when you are present with someone, then you cannot. At that moment, you know when somebody is really present with you, then that person is not thinking about where they have been or where they're going. They're really here with you, and you appreciate that. You appreciate that that uh, ability that that your friend or your lover or your 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 mother or anyone that is close to you has to just be there with you and listen deeply with you and not be distracted with where they have to go in the next hour or with with all the the, the worries of of the past. So really, forgetting is the foundation of this amazing craze that we have and hunger we have right now for 
mindfulness, being here, being in the moment, that whole phenomenon of being in the in you know in the now with Eckhart Tolle and, and so many others. You know, being here um is really uh the big gift that also people who are forgetful give us. They are really yeah. teaching us to be here right now and not be bothered by a lot of things that are really not part of this very moment. Exactly. I'm going to read something mm-hmm. from your book, Encounters of the Real Kind Musings, Poetry Stories about Elders' Forgetfulness and Life, because I just think it's so poignant. And um, it's just very simple. It says, I can see the color in your cheeks and the and the joy unspoken. You teach me it's okay to be still. And we have a really hard time being still and being quiet yes. um, and, Very, and being mm-hmm. present. And I know for myself that learning to accept that and embrace that has heightened my life leaps and bounds mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. terms of being able to release and not feel like I have to control everything. And mm-hmm. I have a calmness about me. I mean, my friends joke, they call me the calm one. No, mm-hmm, but I have this mm-hmm. calmness because it's it's okay um, to just be still and be accepting of what is in the moment. Right. Um, and it's it's such a beautiful thing, and it's so sad to me that that you know I think, oh, why did why wasn't I taught this in school? This is a life lesson. This this would help me in all areas of my life. Why exactly. isn't this taught? Mm-hmm. You know, and um, so I think it's so great that you're out there, you know, helping us um, figure out this path and raising voice to it. And, and um, you know, forgetfulness is, like you said, it's something we all do. We do things on different mm-hmm. levels um, with pretty much everything that we do. And um, so I, I like the idea of getting away from labels and getting back to a normality, um, mm-hmm. you know, of life, of, of acceptance. Can you tell us how you train care partners um, to work with, with forgetfulness? And I and I like the word care partners, too, versus caregiving. Again, a, just mm-hmm. a, a choice in words where we're not mm-hmm. giving it all away. This is a partnership. It is a give and take. Um, but we That's won't right. see it if we don't look for it. Um, That's right, so tell, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell mm-hmm. us how how you go about training people uh, to work in this. Well, yeah. First of all, I mean, the idea of care partners really that was uh, uh, came from from Al Powers, and he very much emphasized how uh, we have a tendency to care and over care. So take a, take the example of uh, the person who is sitting in a chair and has a hard time getting up. We have a tendency to want to help and do it for the person getting up. But at the same time, while you're doing that, you're actually uh, potentially uh, not allowing the person to continue to develop his or her muscles and, and ability to get up because you're, you're by helping, you are almost helping, to exaggerate it, with the atrophying of the muscles. So mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a debilitating effect that your care has or can have. So that's, that's the, uh, the reason to really look at it uh, as a partnership and that gives the the elder, the person who's in front of you, also the uh, a certain power to still be active and still do things. And you might be assisting or you might be helping if needed, but you're not doing it for them. So that's kind of the foundation behind that. The basic training 
is almost uh, uh, borrowed from improvisational theater. One of the things that you learn in improvisational theater, in case you haven't done that yet, it's such, such an exciting uh, uh, training to learn improvisational theater. The first training is to learn to not block, or to another way of saying it would be to learn to say yes. Say yes to everything. Now, that's not something that we are used to in our culture or in most cultures, right? We, we have a tendency, yep. somebody says, do you want that? And you kind of go, well, I'm not sure, no, not really, maybe yes, and so forth. But in improvisational theater, you say yes. You say yes to everything, and then you can uh, change it around to make it fit your way. But you first are validating what is being being uh, brought to you. So when somebody says, would you like to drink this old, cold beer that I have sitting around in my um, on my table here for the last three days? Our tendency is, of course, to say no, right? Most of us would, anyway. <laughs> and so, and you would say, "Oh yes, why don't I take that beer and let me see? Maybe I can use that for my plans over here, right?" So you have moved away from, of you know, maybe you're of course not drinking it, but you're using it. So you allow the person that's on the other side a. Um, you're validating the other. I mean, Naomi File talks about validation uh, therapy, right, mm -hmm. or the validation method. So you're saying yes to what is moving on the other side, what is, what is wanting to occur on the other side. And people with forgetfulness, of course, they live in different realities, which is really what I'm trying to say, that instead of a state of disease, these are different realities we live in. The aboriginals in, in Australia say that the dreaming reality, our subjective reality, where we love and where we where we feel and where we dream and where we um, muse and where we um, just have intuitions and, and uh, gaze out into the sunset or through the window, and, you know, that those are actually, that that is actually our real reality. And that what manifests in our concrete world, the table and the chair and the house and all that, that's a lesser reality that was given rise uh, to... Uh, through the uh, dream reality. So the dream reality is in some ways where most forgetful elders uh, live predominantly. They're in their own world, and it is really up to us, to me and you, to meet them in their reality, which is not easy because we are more used to our concrete everyday reality. And as you said earlier, Laurie, we are very speedy and we want to move, and it's hard for us to be still and hard for us to often pay attention to all the little subtleties so first of all, training care partners would be by saying this is not a disease state, this is a dream state, and many of us actually would love to be in that dream state, would love to be in that calm inner dreaming or daydreaming state that um, where I can, as I'm talking with you, I can be sitting in Paris sipping a café au lait on the Champs-Élysées and, and I can imagine all kinds of things going on. That's basically what the aboriginals call dream state. So not pathologizing it, not making it wrong, is number one in terms of any training. Number two, if they are living in a different reality uh, that is different from, from where I normally live, then I, as the care partner, manager, any therapist, need to stretch myself to get to know that reality. I need to understand it. I need to figure out where do they live what what do they experience in this dream reality? So I need to always first say yes. Aha, uh -huh. 
you want to go in this way. Okay, yes, let's go with it and see where it goes. So that approach of saying yes, of moving, following the process of the person in front of me, of the forgetful elder, that's the foundation really of most of the training. And then that, you know, is applicable to all kinds of um, all kinds of situations. Often people who are forgetful are being labeled uh, violent or combative or aggressive or, you know, whatever. And if you don't look at it that way, but rather say, aha, there is, as Al Power says so beautifully in his books, there's an unmet need there. There's a need that I don't understand. And I need to understand that more deeply through going with it to see where it leads. Then I can understand that reality and and I can understand what it is that they need and what is behind what I call violent or aggressive. And uh, I can actually make a relationship with the forgetful elder and feel much more connected to him or her. And the elder will feel much more connected to, to, uh, to us as well. And we see that constantly in our community. We get probably some 70% of all of our elders in our San Francisco communities come from other care homes where they have been labeled, you know, too difficult, too complex. And they thrive in our communities because of our approach. Yeah, I can I can believe that uh, approach is so, so critical. I uh you know, it was interesting. I'm sure you've probably seen the the movie Alive Inside um, that's yes. been going mm-hmm. around, and and I found it just so interesting where they said, you know, we won't um, we won't pay for a forty dollar iPod and and headset, but we'll spend a thousand dollars a month on a prescription, and yet. That's right. mm-hmm. the, and yet the reaction and the difference that it's making in someone's life is so significant. And one of the things that oh. I loved with with that show was, you know, we're not just affecting one person because, you know, our energy is all interconnected. And you could see mm-hmm. one person mm-hmm. light up on the film and you could just see what it did to everybody else in the room watching, right. seeing That's this right. person That's react. Right. And so... Mm-hmm. It's so critical for us to to work together as a team and to really analyze our approach and what truly is effective and making people um, understand the importance of purpose and inclusion and the and the power that that each of us has um, as an individual to make an impact on another person's life. We just so take that for granted. Um, Absolutely. And, it, and it saddens me to watch. So I think it's very important, um, you know, the work that you're doing there. Michelle, did you have another question you wanted to pose? I do. Um, what is the difference between the language of cure and the language of care? Well, we already have talked about that a little bit, and I, I think that's that's such a core core difference. You picture the following. Let's see if I can explain that. Picture that we need, we have a biomedical world that is based on research and that does wonders, right? It it just it cures so many issues, so many issues that we have and the 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 big diseases, smallpox and polio and so forth. I, I mean, it's just wonderful and what the accomplishments are of biomedicine. And most of those. Uh, discoveries are based on research and dissecting and analyzing 
you know, elements in the laboratory and really finding the vaccine or finding the the medication for something. And that is great for for those in the white coated um, for the white coated scientist. When you work um, in a care in- environment, when you, for example, have your five year old and and uh, the five year old says something or he, or or you know slips a word, you don't say, "Oh my goodness, you have a, a language disorder." You just say, "Oh, the word is like this and that." You know, you're very caring and loving with your child. Similarly, when you uh, are in a care environment, like in a uh, in a care home or in a in a place where you work with forgetfulness, you don't want to use the language that the white-coated science, scientist uses. But ra- so you don't want to use dementia and and all these other words that are, or you know, you have plaque built up in your brain and you have this and that. No. You're speaking with a language of love and a language of care uh, to the other. So that, I think, is is uh, where we need to differentiate much more, that we have this huge body of language that comes from modern science, comes from the research laboratory that is meant to objectify, it's meant to dissect, it's meant to analyze, it's meant to take apart, it's meant to diagnose, to differentiate, and then you have the language of, of care, of, of warmth, where you reuse words like acceptance and, and being empathic and being uh, uh, kind and compassionate and uh, understanding and guiding. And those are the words that come to mind that are part of the language of care. And the idea here is simply that the language of cure is beautiful in the laboratory, as I just said, but the, but it has no place. And I'm very, very uh, em, uh, um, emphatic about that. It has no place in our interactions with people. But we do it. It slips over so quickly that we really have to emphasize again and again in our environments that where it is about care, not to use that language that is often much more cold, Latin, Greek, scientific, meant to take apart, to objectify, rather than to embrace and and care and love. And that makes all the difference. Did I explain that a little bit? Yep, I think that was good. Oh, good. I think you did a great job. Thank you, because, because this is... And it, it is so so easy to make that uh, to, you know to just you know the the newspapers and the articles and the books are filled with with the objectifying language. It's objectifying language. It's basically saying you are separate from me, and you have an issue I don't or that I don't have, and uh, that's that's a language that separates you know that that disconnects us from one another. And everything that we try to do in care is to connect. Uh, with one another, that wonderful movie, Alive Inside, you know, you see our drive. I mean, that we even have that idea of of, of putting music on on, on someone's uh, you know ears is really coming from that deep desire to want to connect with the person, right? And the person actually can also connect with him or herself. But it is engagement, it's connection that we yearn for, that we want to relate. You know, that wonderful uh, writer, E.M. Foster, he, he said, I can summarize life in two words, only connect. You know, our deep desire to connect with one another, to feel related to one another, not to feel alone. It's really so much at the foundation of 
you could say our humanity, our drive for happiness, our drive for joy is, is when we feel connected. So that is a uh, that's a big uh, big challenge, you know, how to keep that language of of the you know, the, the hardcore scientific language out of the the loving, caring, uh, therapeutic environments that we're trying to create with, well, in our home, in our family, and in, in, in residential care communities, anywhere really. Even in hospitals, we're trying to to really use a, more of a language that is caring, and, and we know that, but it's often hard with the mainstream being so strong with its other use of language. Okay. Um, Nader, I'm wondering if we can have you talk a little bit about your your two books here, um, The the Deeper into the Soul, um, Beyond mm-hmm. Dimension, Alzheimer's, Towards Forgetfulness Care. What drove mm-hmm. you to, to write this book, and can you give people a, a little kind of um, – background um as to why you um why you laid it out the way you did well in some ways as you can see it has it has a lot of drawings uh, i i wanted to make it a book that was easily accessible that would really try to um through pictures and animations and 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 little cartoons show quickly that there's a very different way of looking at at um uh, what what is called by modern science, dementia, and what we call forgetfulness. And that came really through, one, the care partners, who, of course, who have always asked me, so what's the, you know, why are you calling it forgetfulness, and why are you thinking that, you know, forgetfulness is so great? I mean, I opened up workshops uh, just to break that kind of basic stereotype and stigma of dementia by saying I can't wait to be demented. Um and then I dealt with that whole uh, uh, provocative statement by saying, okay, there are things about forgetting that are really important, and there's a gift there that we cannot forget. In in mythology, old Greek mythology from a few thousand years ago, uh, it was actually a huge gift if you could walk through the river of forgetfulness. You know, It was that you could start fresh again and that you were able to free yourself from the burdens of life. So... The idea was in this book to to promote a uh, the the quality of forgetting to 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 look at what is good about forgetting forgetting the traumas forgetting the the, the bad things and and the heavy things that burden us um, and uh, also to show to family members so many of the the people who would come to our age zone communities and say oh my god my mom has this and my dad has this and it's so ter- terrible and I would say. It is not, you know. It is not. I have a wonderful story of of um, these these two daughters whose dad at 95 became more more forgetful, and then they came to me and said, and were full of tears, and and said that we can't handle the fact that our father, who was such a teacher for us all of our life, and so strong and so central to to who we are, now suddenly is not anymore remembering our names and just sits there and and seems to be not engaged and doesn't even recognize us any longer and it's just so terrible and i turned to them and i said hey your dad is still your teacher and they looked at me stunning and said what do you mean yes but now he's teaching you something different now he's teaching you patience he's teaching you to be in that reality that he is in to be more calm, be more grounded, 
not to be on your on that verbal level all the time, but just hold hands. He's teaching you compassion. He's teaching you kindness, going more slow. All these other elements of teaching we don't learn in school, as we said earlier, that's now what he's teaching you, you know, to be also in that reality. And that just made such a huge shift for, for these two daughters. They just said, wow, I like that. I didn't never thought about it that way. And so in some ways, so many of the family members who would come and, and have that that sad look on their face, that that's the kind of of uh, reader that I had in mind that would take this book and say, oh, wow, there's another way of looking at forgetfulness that is not tragic. As you say yourself, it's, I love when you say that in the beginning of your program, you know, you want to give a different voice to this, uh, what is called Alzheimer's by, by the medical establishment. And... Uh, and that's so important, you know, that that we look at what what is the gift that they give us. So, for example, I was just as you mentioned the movie Alive Inside. I'm thinking, wow, I need to listen more to music. I used to love to listen to music when I was in my teens and and twenties, and and sometimes would just come home and put on a on a headphone and listen to music. And I'm thinking, wow, in the last twenty years, when have I done that? When have I allowed myself to just go home, put on a headphone, and for half an hour, an hour, whatever, and just tune out, chill out, and just be in the music. So when I saw that wonderful person there on, in the movie, I was thinking about that. Yeah, that's what I have to learn. So they are teaching us to do things that many times we have forgotten. And that's kind of the foundation of the book, that, that forgetting allows us to remember something that we have often forgotten. So that actually the forgetting, being with the forgetting, brings us to more of an essential humanity of stillness, as you say, Laurie, of uh, appreciation for the moment, of um, something that is just much deeper, that's why I call it deeper into the soul, than our running or my running around every day, task list in hand and getting this done and getting that done and running around like crazy as I do. And then I'm thinking, and then one day I'm going to be 80, 90, sitting in some care home, and I'm going to go and look back and think, hmm, what did I do? What have I done with my life? Did I really take time to connect? Did I really drop down into myself, into my inner being? Or was I busy rearranging chairs and tables, polishing the silver? I mean, those are some of the deeper questions that I think that come out when we, uh, or that come to the fore when we work with elders who are forgetful. It's, it's really a gift to be in their presence. Yeah, well, you're so, it, it's so true. We're so busy being busy. Um, yes. And and for a lot of people, it's a way to avoid their emotions and and um, pain points and things. Is it's a it's a way to avoid, um, though we don't um, acknowledge it as such. I, I look at my two brothers who um, really had a difficult time, you know, with my mom's disease. Um, pretty much in denial for a long time, and then got to mm-hmm. the point where it was just too painful for them, you know, mm-hmm. to go visit, and they never got to the point of seeing the beauty um, mm-hmm. within her soul. And, and to me, that was such a bright light and such a gift. And so mm-hmm. when we get together, I have all these wonderful stories, and, and um, they say, where did you get them? And I'm like, I was there. I was just mm-hmm. there, and the stories just happened. You know, just like they Beautiful. do with our friends. And 
Um, mm-hmm. And and again, when you let go of the control and trying to make everything be perfect and just have yeah. fun, it doesn't make mm-hmm. any difference. Exactly. If if Beautiful. my mom's talking about a pink Cadillac and you know spinners yes. and. Uh, you know, a stereo oh. system and that she doesn't know, you know, mm-hmm. what they even are and that she doesn't drive. It was, you're having an engaging, fun conversation. And Beautiful. it's not, not hurting anybody. And, um, you know, it just, or to be able to sit in the quiet and with mm-hmm. somebody. Um, and Harry Urban is is one of our um great experts on dementia chats living with the disease you know and he said you know i i like i like to relax before i got dementia i still do mm-hmm. you know but we're so mm-hmm. busy that's being, right exactly being yeah well this busy. is but this is this is exactly what you're saying if you can remove the stigma if you can remove the labels i am mm-hmm. i am still the person maybe there are a few things about me that are a little different just like we are all changing but yep. that's 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 you know, and that is the that's the terrible part. And that's why I'm so appreciative of you working on this, Lori, to get rid of the stigma. I mean, why not just you know why make ourselves separate? I mean, I you know I don't run as fast anymore, but I now know where I'm going. I don't see very well anymore, Lori, but I I I, I kind of have more of a sense of what is worth looking at, right? Or and mm-hmm. and so forth. I mean, why? Why have this constant gain-loss paradigm where we are saying, oh, I'm losing this, I'm losing that, I'm losing... So rather than that, we are just changing. Let's look at this more neutrally. I'm changing, I'm different, and because I walk more slowly, do I actually perceive more? Do I actually pay attention more? Because I don't hear so well, now I really pay attention to what it is that I want to listen to. We had this one resident who would always take the battery out of her hearing aid. And Mm -hmm. uh, we first thought, oh my God, somebody is eating batteries and then we found out no she was tired of listening to everybody she just wanted to have it nice you know she wanted to be having a nice and quiet time and was frankly tired at at her 92 years of age of the constant cacophony going around her right so mm-hmm. that stillness you're right is is something that is so beautiful uh if we allow ourselves sometimes to even drop into it you know so yeah, to get rid of these labels. This, com- this book, Conversations with Ed, right? you know, Ed called me up from Los Angeles when he got this letter in the mail from this doctor saying, oh, you're demented. And uh, he happened to have a friend who was at a workshop that I had given. And uh, so he called me up and from L.A. and said, hey, I heard you have a different idea about this whole dementia thing. And I said, yeah. And then he just flew up and then he actually moved to San Francisco and lived with me and... and uh, we put that book together, and he's still with us over at Age Song, and and he's just such a wonderful person that has never bought into the label of dementia and just loves the that environment that just accepts him for who he is, and uh, and it just makes all the difference for him, for his self-esteem, for his sense of self-worth, and and he's much more forgiving about if he forgets this and that, he just laughs about it and says, oh. It'll come. That word will come towards me, maybe tomorrow morning or whatever. You know, it's just taking a little time to walk up the channel. So he'll be just funny about it, rather than oh my God, I can't believe it's getting worse and all of this. So that whole nightmarish scene that often get portrayed by other organizations that deal with uh, with forgetfulness is, uh, I don't think, very helpful for for many of us. You know. Yeah, it, yeah, on on all sides, I I totally agree. And I mean, the one thing I think that anybody 
um, gets right away when they're dealing with this disease is that stress makes it worse. It makes it worse mm-hmm. for the person diagnosed. It makes Absolutely. it worse for the person caring for it. So why mm-hmm. are we adding to that by by That's carrying correct. a score mm-hmm. scorecard around and trying to like measure measure people's abilities all the time? I know when we did um, our memory cafe, um, one of our our partners uh, or potential partners, which was a very large uh, national organization, you know, they wanted us to to use the medical terms and they wanted us to test people and it was just like I'm not doing that. That it, this is about building community. This isn't about putting them in a box. This is their group. I'm just a facilitator. This is about meeting their needs. You know, and and to me I'm just so adamant about people should have a safe, comfortable place, you know, where they can commune and have fun and connect. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that just just isn't too much to to ask um, at all. Um, I do yeah, exactly. want to to make sure um, you know you you really get into the whole quantum physics and stuff, and I want to be able to touch on that um, a little mm-hmm. bit more. We've only got about eight minutes left, and and how that has to do with aging and, <clears throat> and forgetting. Is there more that you'd like to to add? Regarding that? Well, I mean, uh, uh, quantum physics in eight minutes, that is great. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I hope no professor of mine is listening. Um, the, uh, well, quantum physics is basically, you know, the new paradigm that moves away from, we talked about modern science has the idea of dissecting and, and taking apart, differentiating, analyzing, and, and so forth. And that's one approach. And uh, that works in many ways pretty well. Uh, but then the, the whole last hundred years have been dominated by really just the top thinkers in science, by quantum physics, where you do not anymore objectify. So there the idea is almost like a Buddhist mystic, mystical idea that we are all one. So we are all connected. So there is the big belief of the quantum field, which scientists have actually studied, and, and there's now uh, proof behind that. So the quantum field means that when we walk into a room or we are all kind of connected through almost like the Internet, like the World Wide Web, we are all connected if we allow ourselves to actually drop into or feel into the connection. So there, that idea of I'm not separate from you is is very important and uh, really is is also scientifically shown that uh, we can that we communicate with one another in ways that is beyond uh, telephone and and speech. But just walking into a place, you can already feel the vibe, so to speak. We have different verbs, especially in California. We have a lot of words about the vibes and the wave being on the same wavelengths, we say, and and, uh, we're in the zone, we're in the groove and all of that. Those are all expressions that I think are trying to express the the idea that we are in a field where we are all connected. Or as some of the Buddhists say, we can even you know feel or, or, or sense uh, the thoughts. So what I think goes out into the universe, and so you know it makes a difference to the universe the way I think about it and the way I think about myself. So those are just the beginnings of the, the whole quantum physics paradigm that is very close to the old wisdom traditions that speak of connectedness, oneness, that speak about things like what goes around comes around, Um, you reap what you sow. I mean, all these biblical words that actually speak to that as well. 
And when we talk about that also in our training with students, since I still train therapy students that work with elders or with our care partners, we emphasize that this is not just a feel-good kind of philosophy here that we have at HSONG, but that actually the hardcore uh, quantum physics science supports our basic belief in forgetfulness and the way the, using the language of cure, I mean of care rather than cure, um, noticing that how we appear towards another person or how we approach another person actually gets felt by them. And uh, so we use those principles from, um, from modern science, modern theoretical science that has not made the mainstream yet. So you don't really have it yet in the in what is called the normative science. The, it's really just maybe the top 1%, uh, the researchers, the thinkers who are using it. And quantum physics also has the concept of uh, how we deal with purpose and meaning. And I liked when you said in the beginning of the show that we talk about purposefulness. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, for example, if everything has a purpose, which many people believe in some higher power, then what's the purpose of forgetting? Why do we now deal with this tremendous five, six, seven million of people that are forgetting while so much of the rest of the world is trying to remember and remember more gigabytes, more tetrabytes, more memory? You know, I mean, we are now at weddings. I was at a wedding recently, and almost everybody had a video camera, and hardly anybody was there, but everybody was behind the video camera. So we are so intent of recording every little thing with a camera, with a recorder, that it's hard for us to just be here and just have a good time, you know. And uh, so that's, you know, in some ways how quantum physics relates loosely to a lot of the things that you're talking about. Oh, interesting. I, I think that's it's so true, you know, with the cameras, everybody's doing the selfies and the pictures. And, exactly, you know, I'm one, yeah. I, I'm one of those people, people go, well, you don't take very many pictures, and I'm like, I I so want to absorb the moment. I don't want to mm-hmm. miss it trying to capture it. I'd rather live it mm-hmm. and, and then right. be able to sh- and to be able to share it. Um mm-hmm. you know with the yeah. the excitement and the exuberance uh, of of actually being there. Being and, there. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, one so, more maybe just more if you have just one 30 seconds I think another sure. really core element of quantum physics is the idea that we are now that that all everybody kind of uses more and more it's the idea of participant observership meaning that the observer meaning you and I looking at the world influence what it is that we see. So actually if I look at a tree since I'm just looking at a tree here in my garden I, through the way I look at that tree, actually influence the tree. And we know that when you look at a child and you look lovingly and caringly at a child, that child will feel better, right? You look a little sternly at at a child or or at at, at really everyone. The adults (laughs) just are better ignoring it. Uh, Then the the child will feel it, right? So you, you can, so actually how we look at the world is how the world will feel it and the world will reflect it back to us, meaning I cannot be separate. There's no such thing as the objective, neutral observer that we have been told, told about in school when we, when we were taught in physics and so forth, but rather I influence what I look at. And so that is a big idea in, in quantum physics, the participant observership. I can never be separated from what it is that I look at. And that makes sense. You know, you look at a tree one way and Michelle does in another way and I do in another way. We all will, We never know what it is that you look at uh, when we look at a tree, you will we will all see different aspects of it, and that's really important when it comes to forgetfulness. When it comes to elders, how we look at them makes all the difference, 
And I think that's really the foundation of what you're trying to do with Alzheimer's Speaks, you know. How do we want to look at the world and elders and people who are forgetful? Yeah. Uh, well, this has just been a, such a great conversation. I could talk with you all day. <laughs> Thank you, same here. My goodness, I love starting my day like that. That is wonderful. Very, very fun. Now, if people want to get in contact with you, they can go to www.agesong.com. And there is a video library on the website as well. Um, or they can go to the PacificInstitute.org, which is your publishing mm-hmm. company. Um, mm-hmm. Fabulous, fabulous, fabulous books. I'm going to read one more thing. This one is from the book Elders Today, Opportunities of a Lifetime. And you touched on some of this, and it's titled Young and Old. Perhaps elders move slower, but they know where they're going. Perhaps elders take longer to decide, but their decisions feel wiser. Perhaps they think less quickly, but their thoughts are more insightful. Perhaps their eyesight isn't as sharp, but their vision is more profound. Perhaps their hearing is lessened, but they, ha- but they know what is worth listening to. Perhaps they struggle with modern technology, but they understand more about the mystery of life. Um, just, it, just these books are. I can't tell you how wonderful um, each one of them is, and it was it was such a gift to me to receive these from you because they're really profound and really, I think, will make people look at life differently. Which is, I think, why why this disease is here. I think it's to shut us down as a society and say, hey, you got it all wrong, guys. You got beautiful. It oh, Lori, that's it. That's it. Yes. You know, oh, wow, that's a beautiful summary. Yes, beautiful. You know, mm-hmm. and and yeah. it, it, you weren't listening, so we had to make it big. And so it's big. <laughs> yes. And, and you're, yes. you're all going to get hit by it. So, well, I I look forward to uh, further conversations with you, Nader. Um, just absolutely fascinating conversation, and um, I can't thank you enough for for taking this hour with us today, um, Michelle. Any anything you'd like to add? Uh, nope, I don't think so. Okay. Thank you, Michelle. Well, thank you, Lori. Yep, Thanks thank for having me on the show. It was such a pleasure to be with you too. Wonderful. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. I'm going to go ahead and um, pull in. We have a local Minnesota St. Paul guest with us today. Holly Eide um, is the area manager at Hellstar Home Health. And um, they are going to be promoting Alzheimer's awareness at the Minnesota State Fair. And um, so, Holly, you want to tell us a little bit um, what brought you to the broadcast today? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Lori, for having us on today. I appreciate it. Hellstar Home Health will be at the Minnesota State Fair from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and will be providing, um, in addition to education, free memory screenings. We'll be located this year in the Health Fair 11 building, which is also one block west of the main fair entrance gate, which is just off of Snelling Avenue for those locals who are familiar with the area. Hellstar is a locally owned company, and like so many of the local and national organizations like yours, Lori, that are trying to do their part to help raise awareness and education, Healthstar is working to, toward that same goal to promote early detection, 
through our memory screenings and other new in-home resources like our Alzheimer's Whisperer program. Well, why don't you tell us about the Whisperer program? Well, as you know, 70% of families affected by dementia choose to keep their loved one at home, but there is a large resource gap that we've noticed, and it comes in time when the doctor's diagnosis at that point when it happens and when an individual is placed in a higher-level facility. And as you've clearly stated on your radio broadcast, there is still a lot of life left to live after a diagnosis. And most often what causes a family to place their loved one in a higher-level facility are the challenging behaviors that develop throughout the different stages of the disease. And HealthStar is just trying to close this gap and the misunderstanding by offering many available resources to families between that time of diagnosis and out-of-home placement. Our Dr. Vernock Carson, our adjunct director and expert on Alzheimer's and dementia, has developed our Alzheimer's Whisperer program, which offers education and teaching by our HealthStar nurses to family members and their caregivers while they're still in their home or in an independent or assisted living facility to help continue their independence and help families understand the differences in stages of Alzheimer's. And there are a lot of different tools that families have at their disposal, but they aren't always aware of those to, on how to redirect those challenging behaviors, how to keep their loved ones safe in their home, and how to prevent the high rate of caregiver burnout that we often see. Wow, that's great. Is there um, any way that you know people with Alzheimer's dementia can access um, this Whisper program? Yeah, absolutely. Um, most families aren't aware that due to the health care reform changes, these types of services are available to them in their homes, and they're 100% covered by traditional Medicare, even to individuals who have been diagnosed but haven't reached that age of 65 yet. And so HealthStar felt as part of our community service and to help raise awareness for this valuable resource, what we've done uh, is to try and place the word out there and get that to the public at large, and what better place to do that than at the great Minnesota get-together. So we've brought in both Dr. Verna Carson, a nationally recognized speaker and the creator of our Alzheimer's Whisperer program, along with you. You've been so kind to join us, Lori, um, as you partner with Telstar, and we'd like to have, you know, everyone come out and visit us because we'll have both you and Dr. Carson as experts in our booth to help raise this awareness. And we'd invite everyone to come out, join us, and help support those affected by Alzheimer's and dementia. And if for no other reason, just stop by and say hi. We'd love to see you at the fair. Well, I'm really excited to be out there. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, this is going to be the first time there's going to be memory screenings um, being held out at the fair. So kudos to you guys for for stepping up the bar and um, making that available and and pulling in such uh, fabulous support uh, for people to be able to see and talk about. I really really appreciate uh, all you are doing. And um, like I said, I'm looking forward to being out there on Thursday with you. Great. So, Thank you so much. Thanks for having well, us thanks, today. Yeah, thanks Thanks so much for calling in. You have a great day, okay? Okay, thanks, Lori. Yep, bye-bye. 
Um, before I introduce our second guest, who I'm just as excited as I was for our first guest, this is going to be a fun, fun conversation, I just have to get in some uh, mid-program highlights. Um, our last uh, program on the show here, uh, Blog Talk had uh, some network errors, so that did not air. Um, but prior to that, we had one on, we tried to pull in a, um, a filmmaker from India who's uh, got a great production called Life Flows On, but we had really bad connections in India. So we weren't able to hear him, but our guest, uh, Ann Campanella, was on, and she's the author of Motherhood Lost and Found, and we had a great conversation regarding that. Next week, we're going to be talking about toxic foods and modern disease, and we're also going to have the um, chef, head chef from the Goodman Group on talking about premier dining. So very excited about that. Our last dementia chat is up on the website um, from July 22nd. And on that one, we talked about how to keep someone with dementia engaged in activities and the risk of a person being independent um, and who's more scared and uncomfortable and why if somebody would wander off. We also talked about a little bit about coconut oil as a supplement and herbs and drugs. So it's always um, uh, we always have a fascinating conversation on Dementia Chat. So if you have not listened to those, I would encourage you to um, go to alzheimerspeaks.com, go to the About page, and you will see that section there. On the blog, um, there is... Um, a survey that we're trying to get done. I haven't gotten much response, and I would really love some help on this, trying to help my Australian friends out here. Um, and what, we're, what they're trying to figure out is what will help somebody in, let's say, an assisted living or at home find their room easier. And so um, with that, you know, would a color, a colored door, or would a memory box be better for you, um, or a combination of both? They're interested in what are your favorite colors and, and why, why, how does that make you feel. So you can go to the blog to, to um, see that, um, and that would be wonderful. There's also more information on the uh, free memory screening at the State Fair with Health Star. If you need directions um, or more information, you can find that there. And then Michelle wrote a really nice uh, post on families and memories. So... Just wanted to remind everybody um, of that. So let me go ahead and um, get to our second guest. She is just a ball of fire, and you are going to love her. Um, you, you're just going to hear the passion in her voice from, from the first word out of the gate. Mary Archer is the founder of Breath of Life Art. She refers to herself as a former performer turned transformer of lives through music and dance. She has studied brain science and combines her knowledge of music, song, and dance with that and has really come up with uh, something pretty phenomenal. Her passion is to um, fill a need, and she's really getting positive results. She's been teaching this program for about two and a half years, and her residents and, and um, students anxiously await her classes. Uh, Mary told... Um, 
told me that the Chinese have no word for crisis, which uh, seems to be an epidemic here in the U.S. Uh, to the Chinese, they believe crisis is an opportunity, uh, one to be challenged and to change a situation that we believe can't be changed. And, and Mary has embraced that, and um, she's really taking something that so many people see as a crisis and making an opportunity and transforming lives through joy. So welcome, Mary, to the show. How are you doing today? I am doing amazingly well, and I was just listening to all that was being said, and it's just amazing how things happen because my research was not only on brain science but has to do with quantum physics and showing that we all are one, and we do feel what each other feels. So to me, this is just supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, small world, yeah, because in our conversations, we hadn't talked about that. And so um, it's it's very funny um, how things work out. And yes. um, energy brings us together. And, uh, you know, I think there's so much passion in this um, in this topic, um, there's so much need, and what saddens me, and, and what made me um, start Alzheimer's Speaks was that just the belief that people need this knowledge, they need to hear these voices that are doing incredible things, so that they can take it and make adjustments and move forward in a more powerful, purposeful fashion. So, thank you for joining us today. Um, Mary, what made you move out west at the age of 73 with only a dream um, that you felt, you know, that there was something else to do? What caused that in you? Well, let, let me tell you how it all happened. I had dancers that I would teach, and they were seniors in Boca Raton, Florida, and they were asked to... Um, audition for this talent show, Seniors Got Talent, and it was put together by the Broward Health North Broward Medical Center. And it just so happened that there was a neurologist speaker, and his theme was how to keep your brain young by putting it to work. And immediately I said, wow, this is something that I can do through the art of tap dancing. This led me, two weeks later, somebody, that's why I know nothing happens by chance, because two weeks later, somebody invited me to a convention, a three-day convention in Miami, Creative Arts for Wellness. And it was here that I met the keynote speaker, Gene Cohen, who was the director of the Center on Aging, Health, and Humanities at the Josh George Washington University, and he just wrote the book, Awakening Human Potential in the Second Year of Life, and that's what gave me the, the courage, and I felt that it was my intuition that was leading me in this direction, and that's what happened against all my friends thinking that I lost my mind. I knew <laughs> that I, I had something to do. And nothing was going to stop me. And, that, and that's how my program was developed. I moved to Palm Springs. I got my first, they allowed me, my first opportunity was an assisted living that had both sides. One side was the Alzheimer's dementia side and the other was the regular assisted living. And when the tapping that I was showing 
produced success. They said, Mary, you need to be at the Alzheimer's dementia side. And that's how the dream manifested. Wow. Very, very interesting. How but long let me, it- I would love to tell the people what this is. Because yeah, when, people, when people hear tap dancing, they picture Fred and Ginger, and immediately they're intimidated. They say, I can't do that. But they can't. You have to learn how to tap dance. My program has been modified to mathematics. All you have to do is count to eight. And you can do, you could do this sitting on a chair, on a walker, or wheelchairs. And if you can count to eight, then you can finish a whole dance routine. And this is amazing because I've kept it simple. If I taught at my level, I could never give them what I have because they would leave. They would mm-hmm. think they couldn't do it. And at that level, they really couldn't. That is why the program is successful. Plus, my whole program is about changing toxic thoughts to positive ones because I believe that's where disease starts. A lot of people think it's, well, it's what we eat. And yes, that does help. But I've learned that it's not only what we eat, but what's eating us. So we need to be introspective. And my studies have proven that when we think positive, we can change the brain, the cells in our brains. And, and that's what I go by. And the success is the proven track record. My people okay. with Alzheimer's dementia have changed. And that doesn't mean that they've gotten rid of the disease, but there's been improvement brought into their life in terms yes. of engagement. They have okay. not gotten rid of the disease, but... Most people, even today, compensate for the disease, and they don't believe that, they can, that there could be a transformation. I believe they can because I'm starting to see some of the people that I teach use their short-term memory, which a lot of people said could never happen. And I like to say with enthusiasm, the world's not coming to an end, my friend. The world's just coming to a start because I feel it in my heart. And just like I know you feel and what I've heard today, we have to change our thinking, our fearful thinking of what this disease is about. And I think when we all can collaborate and we all know we are here for that one desired result, I believe that we can change the world. Well, and I think that was really important what you just said about a disease. You said dis-ease because we are so uncomfortable with disease. Um, and it, it does um, it does take us down. I mean, anytime someone gets sick or, you know, and it can be anything, especially if it's um, life-threatening, um, you know, we automatically, you know, get depressed, get worried, we start scrambling, and this panic ensues mm-hmm. um, with us. So there's just such a discomfort um, with it. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just acknowledging the fact that that it is, is there and it's strong and, and it really does exist. Um, can you tell us how long did it take you to create and get started with kind of teaching the program? 
It took me five months to create this program. But I will say that I've elaborated on it. As I taught, I teach about 60 people now with Alzheimer's dementia every Mm -hmm. week. So this is also taught me. I'm using my brain. I'm using my potential as well as teaching them how to use their potential. And it's my belief that we can go to a performance and for that moment or that hour, we are enmeshed in what we are receiving from the performer. And I know that because I was that performer. That's why I said I've changed because now it is my intention and my purpose to give others a very simple thing that I call a gift that they now could give to others because every one of my people, every one of my students, we perform. That is the icing on the cake. And I see people come alive because they're needed. They're, they're feeling valuable. They're not cast aside. When I walked into classrooms, I see people, their heads are hung, and they feel dis- despondent. They're full of despair. And my program sings to them. See, if I spoke to them, I would lose them. But I've chosen certain songs like, Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my way. Or put on a happy face. You have to have hope. You have to have heart. And when I sing these songs, they start singing with me. Not right away. It takes time. But eventually, they reach that level where they are not afraid anymore and they feel good about what they are contributing to the community, which is the whole of what was said today. Because we really, no man is an island. We're all interconnected. They feel my passion when I walk in that room. They feel that in me, and they give it back to me. And that's what the power of dance is. Not the dance alone or the music alone. It's what's released through a spirit of love and an intention to give that to others. Well, and your your passion jumps out, you know, just through through the lines here too. Um, you can tell how heartfelt this is, and and what a big decision this was. I mean, you you made a major move, you know, um, to to go ahead and do this. Um, at an age where a lot of people would say, hey, just retire and relax. Um, but it sounds like you really feel like this is a, a life mission for you. Yes, it is. Uh, yes. But you know what I yeah. think? I think because of my age and what I did, I am also a testimony that what you believe is very important. Because I'd like to say this, I'm 76 now. My doctor interviewed me. I have never been sick. I never took a medication. He said my vital signs are 14 years of age, and I am abounding with energy. So that Mm -hmm. alone is a testimony for people to see me out and about with this passion to help others. And I think that alone motivates people. It gives them hope. If Mary could do it at that age, well, then I'll be able to do it as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I um, 
I saw the articles that you sent, and I never, in my wildest dreams, would have would have um, guessed you were anywhere even near seventy years old <laughs> at all, um, because you just are so vibrant and full of life and having so much fun um, in these pictures. And again, you know your your photographs; it just jumps off the page as well. Um, you know, well, you're thank in. You. You're in both. Um, yes, so- I am. And you know that I'm excited. And I'd like to share with the audience, I, with everybody that's listening, the positive results of what's happening. I think people need to hear that. You know, I know I'm speaking of me and what my class is about, but the results are amazing. I have an 88-year-old person who has Alzheimer's. She was a tap dancer years ago in the movies. In 1944, she uh, danced in Babes on Swing Street. Well, she's in my class, and she's still, I can teach her a, a dance routine, and she remembers that. She's been on TV with me. I have a 90-year-old and my 88-year-old that I take with me all around the community, and they perform. I do intergenerational shows with my 7-year-olds and 8-year-olds. They dance with people sitting on chairs. And my middle uh, ages that I teach at country clubs, everybody performs together. And the mayor of Indio sent me a letter and said, we've never seen this. Everybody is dancing in time and in unison, and that creates a certain amount, a certain kind of atmosphere that touches people's hearts. And I, and I do this. I have that 88-year-old. I have somebody who was a pianist. He was so disturbed by being separated from his family that he jumped over the fence of the assisted living facility. He pulled the alarm because he was agitated. He didn't understand what was happening. And I brought him into my class. I now showcase him. I let him play the piano. And he is showing signs of using short-term memory. He's relating. He hears what I play, and he's never played. I sing and, and play the music and dance and sing. He's now playing those songs on the piano. So wow. that, to me, is amazing. And not only that, don't forget, people are watching. The 20 people that come to my class, they're watching Fred. And he's progressing. The family says never did they ever think their father would calm down, sit at a dinner table, and even eat with them because this has changed him. No, he's not completely transformed yet, but I still believe there's hope. I give them hope. I sing Mm -hmm. you've got to have heart. You've got to have hope. Don't sit around and mope. Life's not half as bad as it may appear. Wait till next year and hope those words speak to them somewhere because I'm communicating that. And I am getting results, Lori, and I'm so happy you're giving me an opportunity to tell people out there that there is hope. And if we all believe that, I think that we will see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's time to remove the fear and and replace it with hope. I mean, it, it's we're long, long overdue, long, long overdue. So, how often do you meet with your groups, and about how many how many students come at one time? How many are in a class? Well, 
I teach at a, a daycare Alzheimer's center, and I have about 40 people there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not that, you know, they still go home at night, so I think that they have a different kind of, I communicate differently with them. Then mm-hmm. I teach at an all Alzheimer's, uh, two levels. One side is not as bad as the other side. Some are catatonic, some mm-hmm. aren't. But I do have somebody in the, the, the lesser side who performs with me. In other words, I taught her the routine two years ago. She dances with me, she sings with me, and she has become part of doing my class with me. And the, and the people watching her, they are enthused by seeing her. And I, I noticed something about her. She has this compassion towards the people that are not as advanced as she is. And sometimes she'll go out into the audience, touch their hands, and show her feelings towards them. So everybody in the room is feeling what is happening. Everybody's connected. She mm-hmm. comes with me to the other side as well. And I want to say one thing. I had this woman. Her head was down. She was strapped into a wheelchair. And after two or three weeks of me teaching, she started to move back and forth, shake. Two of the, the uh, caregivers unstrapped her, lifted her up. She still began to shake. And she looked me right in the face and said, I just want to have fun. Mm-hmm. And everybody was amazed because friends and families do come to my class because they do see the progression. And that makes my life fulfilled when I see uh-huh. the results. And and that's why I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. What um what were the reactions of others when they when they saw her reaction? How did that change the room dynamics and things? Well, I think now I have more uh interaction with families because families are now starting to talk to me when they see that there is a sudden change in in their maybe their husband or the wife, they see the change. See, before when I said that a change could be, nobody believed it. Even the people who hired me, they didn't believe that it would come to this. They hired me as an activity. But it's gotten to be more than an activity because they are now seeing the results. So like you asked, I have about 40 people in the daycare. I have both sides of all Alzheimer's, and I teach at another facility with both sides, assisted living and Alzheimer's. And now they're bringing all the Alzheimer's dementia to my class, which I think is a good thing. Rather than going to an all-dementia facility, I like the fact that they're in the class with the other people. Mm-hmm. I think that there is, there's a profit in that. So... They just feel like everybody is uniting. And I also teach at a big home with both Alzheimer's and uh, none, just regular people that are in assisted living. Sure. Well, yeah, and the, the nice thing with this is, I mean, this isn't just dementia. This is good for everybody. Um, 
And so, you know, that's, I, I think, a wonderful piece of it, too, in terms of normality. And and um, do you ever, are the groups ever mixed at all? I know a lot of people will say, you know, 80 to 90% of the people living in assisted living have some form of memory loss, if they know it or not, some form of dementia, if they've been um you know, diagnosed or not? I don't know what your what your thought necessarily is on that, um, but I think that. But I know, do again, see it. I do see it. I mm-hmm. do see it in the people that are unassisted. For a lot of the people that go over to the dementia side, has started mm-hmm. with me on the regular assisted side, and then uh-huh. I see the change. But I do talk about that. This is preventive. You know, because mm-hmm. any time we change our thoughts from the negative to the positive, I think there's a change within us. Mm -hmm. So it does help in some ways, and I do believe that those people that are on the borderline, when they see Elaine, my 88-year-old dementia, tapping, and Fred, who is playing the piano, I think it's giving them hope as well. And maybe they don't want to talk about that they are starting to lose their memory, but Mm -hmm. they're feeling it. But this is giving them hope as well. Wonderful. Well, I think that that's great. Can you tell us a little bit more about the the tapping and um, what you did to kind of create the the brain boogie aspect, you know, of it um, to to connect people? Yes. I'm going to tell you about the TAP program because anybody can do it, even if they're sitting in a chair now or standing. If you took your right foot and did one, you tapped, you could try it seven times. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Bring it back on eight. Other foot. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Bring it back on eight. Tap three. One, two, three. Bring it back on four. One, two, three. Bring it back on four. One, then tap seven again. That's one paragraph in music because music is written in the count of eight. So that's the beginning. All they have to do is tap and know how to count to eight. I speak throughout my whole class. So I'm leading them. They're paying attention to what I'm saying. Now, they may not do it right away, but eventually they will gain enough confidence to start moving their feet and eventually even stand up with me and, and dance this with me also. I added claps. Claps are very important. I added because, again, in the count of eight, four hand claps. Now you tap your thighs four times. Four claps, four thighs. Four claps, four thighs in time to the music. Mm -hmm. So I've worked on a few of these little things that are put together, and they make up a dance a little routine, and that's when the euphoria happens, when they try this and accomplish this, and everybody lifts their hands up at the end, that's the feeling of power because that's what's released. They've just done something of importance, not only to themselves, but to other people. Just like in a baseball game. Think about it. When somebody hits a a home run, the, the audience roars or at a basketball game he makes the basket and everybody applauds well it's the same thing that's happening here 
because endorphins are released, dopamine and serotonin, those happy things, where I think eventually they're going to, there won't be medication needed. If you can have that released by feeling happy or happiness within us, that's health and well-being right there. Okay, well that that makes a lot of, a lot a lot of sense, and you know I can tell just by the way you were counting off and stuff. This is you could do this in your sleep. <laughs> it sounds like I mean you're just it's so natural to you, and, and it's um, helping me, Lori. It's also helping me at this age. I tell them you, they're as much a part of my life as I am a part of theirs, and isn't that what love is? Love is reciprocal. Yeah. So. They're giving me, they're showing up and participating in this class is giving me an opportunity to use my potential. And don't think you aren't. Just by you inviting me to this broadcast, you've given me an opportunity to speak what I love and what I do that I feel we can help somebody that might be listening today that maybe has lost hope. And I and I love Alzheimer's speaks. It's it's new to me, but I think it's a wonderful thing because when everybody speaks, we're all in the same boat. Everybody that's yep. listening or speaking, we're all here for the same cause. And when we all get together collectively and speak of what we're doing, we never know what we could use by what somebody has already spoken. Very so, true. Yes, very, I think very it's true. a wonderful thing that you're doing. Well, we're doing it all together, you know. Yes, we fun. are. Yes, we. everybody has a part to play. And mm-hmm. I would like to see more teamwork in, in, in my area. You, you mm-hmm. know, we all have something to do. Let's get together. Let's talk about it. And let's see what we could do collectively. I am now doing a three-day event. It's not where you start. It's where you finish. And I mm-hmm. will have all of these people come and entertain with a show that I am putting together. So, mm-hmm. And then we will invite the public and let other people see. And I'm looking for sponsors. And I may use Macy's because in New York City years ago, they had something called Tap Mania. And they had as many as 4,000 people show up in front of Macy's department store just to learn a simple little tap routine and everybody did it together in unison. They're in mm-hmm. the world's Guinness Book of Records. So there must be something in that that caused people to come every year and be a part of this. And I am going to duplicate that here. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, you sent me a couple of news clips and stuff, and, and who who was involved? Um, who, you know, what are the organizations? I think it's fine um, to go ahead and give them a little um, PR and, and kudos for trying this program out. Yes, I will. The first one was in uh, Rancho Mirage in California was Mission Hills. That was my very first. And then I went to Vista Cove in Rancho Mirage. That's the place where is all Alzheimer's. Um, I'm now at Mirage Inn. I've been there for two and a half years, and that's also their um, 
run by Brookdale. They just took over Emeritus, and I'm hoping to be at Emeritus as well. And there's the Eisenhower Five Star Club associated with the hospital, and that's where I have about 40 people in the daycare center. And I teach at Desert Cove, which is a tremendous house that they've turned into assisted living, and I have about 10 people there as well. They're in Indio. So I'm in Indio, I'm in Palm Desert, I'm in Rancho Mirage, and Indian Wells as well. Wonderful. I feel that that's a, a wonder. I mean, I real, in three years, I think that that's a supernatural happening. I'm very grateful because the newspaper have, has covered what I do as well. So the word is getting out, and I do want to have, I want to be able to make a DVD and a a little book telling people how to do this, because this needs to be done in other states and maybe even countries. I lived in the Bahamas, so I have a good connection of going there and teaching somebody there how to do this program as well. I think everybody can benefit from this. Well, it's so upbeat, um, and it's just, like you said, everyone can do it, and, you know, if they can stand, if they can sit, it doesn't make any difference. Um, you know, they can they can come alive and, and participate uh, yes. in, the, in the program with the TAP, which is, which is absolutely fantastic. And, and um, you know, I mean, it really is a, a, a fun way to do fitness, and... I mean, that's critical. We all want to have fun. I mean, I still am not good about my fitness. But I think if if it was something was more fun and engaging and, you know, um, in that group setting, I think I'd probably be more likely to do that because it would be feeling that that sense of belonging versus just doing a task. Well, that's it, Lori. You've hit it on the head. you know why? Because in fitness, you walk into the class, you do what you do. It's very self-serving, and you leave. But what's happened in my country, I work at the Indian Wells Country Club in the, uh, their spa and, and health and wellness center. Now, my pe- the people that come to my class, because they perform, they have made friends with each other. They meet in other people's garages and they practice. So look what happens just from a class. There's a unity. There's a, there's, a, there's a different spirit taking over. And we are also performing in the facility. Every time they have an event, this class performs. Now we just I took everybody to a hotel in the area and had the interna- intergenerational show, and people are amazed. So, I mean, I'm getting all this response that is positive, and I think that what you said is important. If it's, oh, I know me. I don't like to go to an aerobics class, but I like to do this because it's fun. It creates a certain camaraderie among everybody in the class that you don't get in a, a, a regular workout class. Mm-hmm. Yep, very, very true. Um, so... What are your dreams? I know you had talked about doing a video and and doing a book, and it sounds like your dream is really to get this, you know, national or even international in terms of a scope um, and kind of being your, almost being your legacy in terms of why why you were born to begin with. This This is my legacy, and I just wrote my memoir. I've had an amazing background. I've also been a cruise. First of all, I I entertained aboard cruise ships. 
Mm-hmm. I've been an entertainment director, a cruise director, giving this program wherever I went. So I do feel because there's a lot of handicapped people in the world who go on cruise ships, and they could do this program as well. Plus, mm-hmm. the baby boomers today, they don't want to put their kids in a, in a camp. They mm-hmm. want to interact with them. This is a wonderful program for a grandmother, a mother, and the child, a grandchild or child. They can learn this together and perform it on the ship. Mm-hmm. So, again, it has all the components of of everything that's taking place. They're learning something, and they're now given a gift where they can all do this together. Mm-hmm. I had Diane Sawyer, her mother and her aunt, at a, I taught at a health spa in Florida, and they all walked out of the room happy because they were a part of doing something together and something simple that they could. See, that's the key. The feeling of something simple that can be accomplished because if it was made harder than this, they would lose hope. They wouldn't mm-hmm. come back. They come back because they're, they're accomplishing something and they feel it. Yep. Yep. So that's my hope. I really, I am going to do all these events. I'm going to use every one of my gifts. I write shows. Um, I produce shows. I have all of that ability within me. And, you know, you said the power of dance. Yes, there is a power. It's the power is released. It's not mm-hmm. just the dance. I want people to know that. It's not about the technique of the dance. It's about the spirit of the dance that comes forth to the audience from the person that is dancing with a spirit of love for her craft and her heart. That's what's being felt, and that's what comes back. And to me, that's when the giver and the receiver become one. Mm-hmm. And that to me, that's the fulfillment. And because I've had that in my life, I want to make sure that somebody, even whatever age group they're at, they can still be creative. They can still express themselves some way. It's not a race to the finish line. It's mm-hmm. not about perfection. Participation is more than anything else. I have taught this to uh, someone with severe schizophrenia. He couldn't even look at me. Everybody in the area uh, didn't even want to take him on. They wouldn't even allow him in the class. His lifelong dream, he sat in front of a television, and he watched the movie Stepping Out with Liza Minnelli as a tap teacher. Well, I uh-huh. gave him his dream. I gave him his dream. They didn't even oh. want him at, at the recital. They said, oh, no, we can't have him. And you know something? The women in the class didn't want to dance with him. They refused. Mm-hmm. I danced with him, and I had one other lady, and the three of us, Bill was in the middle, dressed in costume, and he lived his dream that day. All the people oh, at Assisted wow. Living came to see him. That's what makes Mary's life worthwhile. What I can well, give to others. Yeah, when we do, when we give others the opportunity um, and the chance, and, and believe. I know with my mom, and we didn't do tap so much, but she was, she loved music, and so you know we would dance standing up, and then you know when she was in a wheelchair, we'd dance with her in the wheelchair, and and then that got too much for her to move around, and so then we would just kind of arm dance. 
you know, sitting. And then we got down to a finger dance, you know. Um, But there was always, there was always something going on and she would tap her feet and, you know, um, still have movement that was so inspiring. And those connections were so powerful and so intimate. Um, I think that's, that's one of the things that people forget is the emotional connections to music and the intimacy that it that it triggers in us. And, um, you know, that's just powerful, powerful stuff um, to to be able to engage somebody in that way. And, and I shouldn't even say engage them because it, it, we're engaged together. Together, you know, when you're, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. When you're when you're in the room and in the presence, it's 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 an engagement of togetherness. You know, um, it's not it, it's not just doing it for them. Um, you know, everybody receives um, from the other end if you go in with an authentic heart and um, and a playfulness that I think as adults a lot of times we've lost. Um, along the way of our checklists and you know our demands of the day and our our priorities um, and you know when you can bring that that play and that joy back, oh my gosh i mean it it can instantly not only change a heart but <clears throat> change a room full of people um, absolutely just, just by seeing one person connect on that level it it's um you know to me it's contagious i don't know if you feel that when you're with people but i i feel um the music um and engagement through it is just a it's, it's just contagious um it's, it's contagious it's that's yes and that's why i even said to you before social engagement is very important i think it's a necessity because yep. we each can feel what another person is feeling Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is is true. It really is, and it's about. I think that more people have to stop looking at aging seniors as medical mm-hmm. objects. We need to yep. see them instead through their vitality and their wisdom. And no matter yep. how frail they are, they do have something of value to contribute. So this is what I tell everybody: it's time to see them for their potential, not their problems. Let's try to see them as an asset model and now not a deficit one. Which so. is that's a beautiful, beautiful way to put it. When I was in real estate, um, you know, I worked specifically with the senior market. That was kind of my specialty and I and I um recognized the market, you know, ten years before society even knew there was uh, an elderly population <laughs> explosion going on. <laughs> Me too, of course, which, right. Which was which was kind of funny. But um one of the things that was really blatant to me, and I think this this is kind of in the same format, was, um, you know, people would say, "Well, I can't, I, you know, I can't get my parents to move. You know, I can't, I can't do this, I can't do that." And I said, "You know, we're so good at categorizing people and making them feel different." I said, "I've got to come at a whole different approach. This is about normalcy, and this is about, you know, when it comes to making a move." We all move for the exact same reasons. We move to meet our lifestyle needs. That's as simple as it is. I don't care if it's your first home, your last home, you're divorced, you're getting married, you're having a kid. I don't care if it's an investor. It's it's to meet your lifestyle needs and to make sure that it's comfortable. Those are that's the driving force. And 
like with engaging somebody in dementia, you know, with dementia, it's it really our level of connectivity increases when we look at our commonalities versus our differences. Yeah, and absolutely. and we and we just expand, you know, and we focus on the positives. We're, you know, be grateful for what you have and what you had instead of being upset for what you lost or what you think is not coming your way because, you know, the future isn't here yet, so you don't know. Um, you know, but life life has its own path, and we, we don't control it as much as we think it is. But if we can look at the beauty of the presence of every individual before us and uh, and appreciate them for their authentic self and i mean cuz we all feel better when you know when somebody just gets us you know and we can put our guard down and we can be who we really are i mean that is like the most comfortable safe feeling that that any of us can have and why would we not want to give that um to someone with dementia you know why can't we be why can't we be that comfort zone you know but we have to create a different environment and i think what you're doing really allows that um authentic self to come out and to have fun and to participate and not judge and and just kind of revel in the joy you know and yeah. um I, it's very cool very, very cool what you're doing. But what you said was so true. Again, I listen to every word that you say because I find that the families, like sometimes the wives of the, the, the men that I teach, they talk at them. They don't yep. talk to them. See, yep. I treat them. I see them like they're me. I treat them. I talk to them like I talk to you. I don't put yep. on any kind of other talk than as I was talking to anybody else, but I find that the families are so frightened by mm-hmm. by what they're happening in their lives as well. They don't know how to handle it. And sometimes they'll roll their eyes if the person is mumbling. I never see them mumble. I continue mm-hmm. with my conversation, and then they continue with whatever it is they're doing. So what you say is very important for the people who are listening Mm-hmm. See them for their potential. Start seeing them differently, and they will respond to you because, you know, the heart has a brain. I've been studying that. There's a new whole series that's coming forth from Hartmouth Center in, in California because the heart thinks and it remembers because as a man thinketh in his heart, so it is. So mm-hmm. I'm seeing ways that even though the brain is not there as yet because the mind controls the brain, people, used, people thought that it was the brain that had power over the mind, but we speak to the mind, and that mind puts the brain to work. So, so much more is happening within this that we need to discover. Mm-hmm. And it is, I, I do see people that are just, they don't treat these people normal. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of their belief system as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, what what you believe um you create. And yeah. um you know when we when when we categorize someone like Nader said earlier, you know when we when we say dementia then we look for dementia. Yeah. You know we're not we're not looking we're not looking for the 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 
the greater being that so outweighs the disease. You know, we've 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 switched it and we've put the the disease first, and the disease has to take second seat if we're really going to be person centered. If we're really going to engage. Um, you know, and that's any disease. You know, it has to come second to the person before us. And um, critical, critical piece, um, something that seems really basic, but it's going to take years and years to shift because that is not how we treat things. Right, you know? and I'm tired also of doctors that are giving, you know, they instill fear. You know how many people say, oh, my mother had it, so that means I'm going to have They think they're going to have it. Yep. <laughs> they got to get rid of that because what you fear comes upon you. <clears throat> you can create that if that's what you believe. So that's another way that we need to stop this fear-based. Everything I read is fear-based. Doctors are saying we're all going to eventually have Alzheimer's disease. I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. And so, well, and- again... Fear's been used, you know, to raise money. It's it's a, it's a big business model, um, and it has been for a long, long time. And people don't. It's been such a subtle, uh, a subtle um, shift out there, and a subtle mode. People don't even realize it. They they really don't realize the the basics behind you know, what is going on. And that's, again, it, it brings us all back to that level of consciousness. Um, yes. You know, if you're, if you're going to care, and, you know, one of the tools I have is called conscious caring. Um, I call them conscious caring tools because I think it's really important that we consciously are aware of of how we're coming off and what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, and, and looking deeper at ourselves, than the other person yeah because you know 90 percent of the time we're the trigger anyways you know absolutely (laughs) we have to look at no we have to be able to look within ourselves as well i think the more we know ourselves the more we can understand and be honest with ourselves you know and then we can really understand others and i think that's what they're looking for wherever i go they need to be understood that's all and cared yep. about and paid attention to. Mm-hmm. Show that you care. Show your kindness. And and I know I see a lot of people that are in wheelchairs. They want to stand. They have this will. And they're told, oh, no, 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 you have to be strapped in. You can't do that. So they know when they're being lied to. They know when the, what's within them. And we have to start being aware of that and not mm-hmm. treating them with, with our fear. And this is what I see as well, Laura. We're treating them with our fear. These families are frightened. So that's another step. I really want to speak to them on a positive vein, give them hope and not despair. We can turn it around. (laughs) I I think so, too. I, I I totally believe it. I'm I'm all about shifting perceptions um, yes. when I go out and speak as well. Well, Mary, I have to call us to a close here, but this has just been a fun conversation, and I'm I'm so proud of you for what you're doing. I I think it's absolutely fantastic, and your willingness to share and um, kind of look at the greater good. I am I would love to. You know, read your memoir and um, see this program expand all over the world. So I, I thank you so much for all you're doing. 
And um, thank now, you. And let's keep in touch. Yeah, definitely. Now, can you tell people your email address um, for uh, to, to be able to get a hold of you? Yes, my email address is Breath of Life. Let me spell it. It's B-R-E-A-T-H-O-F-L-I-F-E and the word arts, A-R-T-S, at gmail.com. Breath of Life Arts at gmail.com. Okay, wonderful. And did you want to give out any any other contact information, or is that the best yes. way for people? Yes. Well, to right it? now I'm in the midst of just as you said, and we spoke. I am going to get a Facebook page made mm-hmm. so people can really communicate and know what I'm doing. If they want to call me, feel free. My number is seven six zero two nine six three three four seven. Okay. Well, you have a great day, and thanks again for all you're doing for the world, Mary. Bye Thank now. you, too. Bye. So just a reminder, next week uh, we will be having uh, another show, same time, same place. In the meantime, uh, help us raise awareness through the purple angel uh, symbol. You can go to alzheimerspeaks.com to get information on that. And if you're looking for an Alzheimer's association anywhere in the world, um, go to Alzheimer's Disease International. They'll be able to uh, find the closest association uh, to you. If you are looking for alternative ways with food and exercise and meditation, check out the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. They're absolutely fabulous. And then don't forget about the Lewy Body Dementia, the National Aphasia Association, and the Association for Frontal Temporal Lobe. Um, And uh, if you like music, again, check out Coral First, and that's uh, Coral Health with Music First. That's C-O-R-O. We will talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy your week. Hi everyone, this is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me, listen now, search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.